Welcome, friends, to The Word is Resistance, a podcast of showing up for racial justice, or SURGE. This is the podcast where we explore the weekly Christian scripture readings with an eye toward racial justice and collective liberation. My name is Nicola Torbett. I use she and her pronouns, and I'm recording this here in what is now known as Oakland, California. This is the unceded homeland of the Ohlone people, who are still very much here and active and taking leadership in this movement town. As many of you know, this podcast is aimed at white Christians like me who want to respond to the call to dismantle white supremacy. We recognize that as white Christians, we have our own particular work to do that it is our responsibility to learn how to resist the forces of white Christian supremacy from which we've benefited and with which we are otherwise complicit. We are seeking to find and uproot white supremacy, settler colonialism, ableism, and other forms of oppression wherever they show up, including in our own Christian tradition. And in their place, we are sowing freedom dreams. We are building up a new world. That's also the song you're hearing throughout this podcast. This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for our podcast. As you may have heard, We're doing a special series this summer, looking at the Luke passages through a disability justice frame. Disability justice is a framework that challenges the fundamental ableism of our culture, the privileging of people with certain bodies and minds that fit some fictional idea of normal. Developed primarily by queer and trans people of color, disability justice also calls attention to the way that ableism is all bound up with white supremacy, heteropatriarchy, and capitalism. In other words, it recognizes that we live intersectional lives. I'm super excited about this focus for our podcast because I find disability justice just completely paradigm shifting. When we stop focusing on what is supposedly wrong with individual bodies and minds, those we have labeled as disabled, and instead focus on how existing systems and structures are disabling of certain bodies and minds, and specifically those that do not adequately serve systems of profit and power, or that threaten to disrupt power, profit, or comfort, in other words, bodies and minds that cost something to include, Well, that shift in focus really changes what we notice, what we long for, what we can imagine, and from there, what becomes possible. So get ready. We're going to go there. Before we jump in, I want to invite you to notice your own body right now. How are you doing? What's going on in there? Where are there sensations of comfort or discomfort, pain, numbness, relaxation or tension? Just take a moment to be with your own body. Then notice the condition of your heart and mind. 
How are you doing, really? What do you need right now? You can even pause this podcast to get some water, stretch. You could even take a break and come back to this later. Maybe you need a nap. Now see if you can imagine being noticed by God or love or the transformative power that nudges the universe toward healing and justice or however you think of that power greater than yourself. See if you can imagine being seen, perceived, and known in your own wholeness. All of your gifts and strengths, all of the ways that you struggle, your past, including your trauma history, your dreams and visions for the future. Imagine being seen in all of that and specifically seen whole and perfect, just as you are right now. No change is necessary. Whether you are someone whom you think people tend to notice or not, know that in this moment and from here on out, you are seen by the greatest love in the universe as whole. Amen. Now let's turn to our scripture for this week, which is Luke 13, verses 10 through 17. gospel lesson is from the Gospel of Luke. But before we jump into that, I want to call up a phrase that is most explicitly used in the Gospel of Matthew. I want to talk about binding and loosing. In Matthew 18, Jesus tells the disciples that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Binding and loosing were Jewish legal concepts, the provinces of scribes and Pharisees, actually, and they referred to the ability to forbid in the case of binding or to permit in the case of loosing, to forbid or permit something by indisputable authority. That's what the Jewish tradition said, and Jesus is acting here fully within that Jewish tradition. The images of binding and loosing are associated with chains, binding someone or something up in chains, or loosening the chains to set them free. In Isaiah, for example, the prophet associates proper fasting, as opposed to fasting just for display, with loosing the chains of injustice. So there's this undertone of justice and freedom to these concepts. In our scripture for today from Luke, the translation makes it a little harder to hear, but in the Greek, it's clear that this passage is all about binding and loosing. Take a listen and see if you can hear these concepts. This is Luke 13, verses 10 through 17 from the New Revised Standard Version. Now he, meaning Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. 
She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day. When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. So did you hear the binding and loosing in this passage? On the surface of it, this is a story about a woman who had been bound for 18 years by a spirit that bent her over double. Jesus announced that she had been set free, and she was freed. Then a religious leader tried to forbid or bind what Jesus had just done, and Jesus countered by saying, Even you unbind your livestock on the Sabbath so that they can drink. Why shouldn't I also loose your fellow human being? In later Christian tradition, this binding and loosing, or forbidding and permitting, got associated with access to the kingdom of God, or what is known in pop culture as heaven. That's where we get those frequently cartooned images of St. Peter at the gates to heaven, letting some in while prohibiting others. St. Peter is binding and loosing. So it's not that big a stretch to say that binding and loosing are about accessibility. They're about who gets access to the good things of God and who doesn't. So this is a story about accessibility. So the first thing I notice about this scripture is that Jesus called out to the woman who was bent over. He noticed her. I imagine she might have been easy to overlook, literally overlook, since she would not have been as tall as most of the folks around her, and it doesn't sound like she was particularly trying to draw attention to herself. I imagine she was just trying to slip in and hear what this Jesus dude, Jesus dude had to say, right? But Jesus saw her and he considered her. He noticed that there might be something she needed in order to show up as her brightest and best self in this space. And he wanted that for her. And I think he wanted it for the whole worshiping community. This is the first question for us to consider. How do we attend to what those around us need in order to show up as fully as possible when we gather? In my last episode on July 3rd, I talked about access check-ins as a way both to notice our own needs and to solicit the needs of others in your group so that you can work together to meet as many of them as possible. Normalizing access needs is a way to include people with all kinds of abilities and disabilities, both temporary and chronic, in whatever you're up to. This week, I'm hoping we can reflect a little on how to notice and consider people with disabilities in advance of gatherings. 
I want to give gratitude here to an organization called Sins Invalid, which is a disability justice-based performance project located here in the Bay Area. By the way, I'm wild about their tagline, which is an untamed claim to beauty in the face of invisibility. An untamed claim to beauty in the face of invisibility. I love that so much. Anyway, Sins Invalid has a disability justice primer on their website that I find hugely helpful. And I've learned a lot of what I'm about to say from them. One thing I've learned is to include information about accessibility in any promotional materials and event, event invitations. The idea here is to think in advance about what folks might need and what you can offer. Things like ASL interpretation, image descriptions, accessible restrooms, fragrance-free spaces, live captioning for an online event. You get the idea. And then, and this is important, to be honest about what you're offering and what folks might need to know in advance. Like, for example, my church sits on the top of a steep driveway that is really hard to get up even in a power chair. People need to know that before they arrive. If you're planning a march, how long will that march be? Will there be somewhere to sit at the beginning and the end? Will there be restrooms anywhere nearby? Be sure to include a contact phone number or email so that folks can talk through other access needs prior to coming. All of these are ways of noticing people and creating a space that welcomes people with a variety of abilities and disabilities. These are ways of loosing the kingdom. The second thing I want to focus on in this passage is that Jesus did not cure this woman so much as he set her free. The story is often cited as an example of Jesus' healing powers, but the word healing is never used. Jesus did not see the woman as someone who needed to be fixed, but as someone who had been bound, who had a spirit that was bending her double, a spirit that is later associated with Satan, the accuser or the obstacle. Shatan in Hebrew means obstacle. If your mind is blown by that the way mine was when I learned it, you can pause the podcast right here if you want to think about that one for a while. Shatan, Satan, means obstacle. There was something in this woman's life, or in the synagogue, or in the village, or in her family, somewhere, there was something that was an obstacle to her standing up straight, literally or metaphorically. The problem was not in the woman, but in something outside her, a spirit, an obstacle, something in her environment. It's not so much that she had a disability as that something in her world was disabling. What are the things that might be weighing on this woman, pressing her down, preventing her from attaining her full height? What social forces might cause a woman to shrink in on herself in this way? What are the things that are weighing on you and keeping you from standing tall or sitting tall? What is binding you? What is binding the people around you? 
How is white supremacy a satanic spirit that binds people and prevents them from standing tall or sitting tall or lying straight? How is white supremacy disabling? How are certain environments disabling, either physically because they are inaccessible or spiritually because oppressive spirits keep the people in them bound? A contemporary doctor might have looked at this woman and sought to intervene in a way that changed her body. The medical model of disability locates disability in an individual body, in the ways that body deviates from the norm. Now, of course, not all doctors think this way, but historically, the medical profession has thought of disability in this individualized way and has encouraged people with disabilities to undergo procedures or take medication or otherwise intervene to make their bodies or minds conform more closely to what society has deemed normal. Sometimes our spiritual communities follow suit. In her book, My Body is Not a Prayer Request, Amy Kenny talks about how many times well-meaning people have seen her in a wheelchair or using her canes and offered to pray for her healing, as if the problem was her body and not the world that made it hard for her to get around using those mobility-assisting devices. The social model of disability, in contrast to the medical model, locates the problem in the environment. That environment disables people with some minds and bodies, and it enables others. In a sense, the environment is binding and loosing. In this case, something in this woman's environment has bound her. In our world, someone might be bound by, say, a staircase, or a door too narrow to pass through with a mobility device. Or someone might be bound by a lecture that relies on a person's ability to hear, without amplification, or without ASL interpretation. In the United States today, Black, Indigenous, and other people of color are bound by the satanic spirit of white supremacy. Those who, on top of that, have bodies or minds or genders or sexual orientations that don't fit some imagined norm are doubly or triply bound. There are satanic obstacles placed in their way physical, practical, psychosocial, and emotional obstacles that seek to keep people from expressing their full potential. I am deliberately avoiding the metaphor of standing up straight here, since that metaphor is in itself ableist. Not everyone can or even should stand up straight. These same forces also bind white people not in the same way, and not with consequences as immediately deathly, but we are bound nonetheless. The inauthenticity, the numbness, the stiffness, the inhumanity of whiteness and all it brings has us bound. And it is to all our benefit that we join with BIPOC activists and healers following in the footsteps of Jesus and give ourselves to the work of setting each other free. See, this is the thing that maybe the synagogue leader didn't get, and that the gatekeepers of many of our institutions don't get. When anyone's potential is thwarted, we all lose. When anyone is kept out, 
or prevented from participating to the fullness of their stature, we are all bound. The community cannot approach the kingdom of God. This religious leader is not wrong in valuing the Sabbath. In fact, I imagine exhaustion and overwork might be part of what has that woman bound. We need Sabbath, but we need Sabbath from all that binds us. We need to loose each other into our full aliveness so that we can thrive together. What we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. And sometimes that means reassessing the rules, the systems and the structures that we have designed for our communities so that everyone, everyone is fully seen, considered, valued, and set free. And when that happens, we will bind ableism and loose our full potential as a community and the kingdom will have drawn near and we can all rejoice together. Amen. Your first call to action is to reflect on this question. What are you binding and what are you loosing? What are you binding and what are you loosing? In your own life, in your community, in the lives of the institutions in which you participate. Second, and as a part of that reflection, I encourage you to download the Disability Justice Primer from the Sins Invalid website. I'll link to it in the transcript. It's called Skin, Tooth, and Bone. The basis of movement is our people. I think you'll love it. It's pretty mind-blowing. Included as part of that primer are suggestions for making your events more accessible. Review those, ideally with others in your community, and think about how to incorporate those ideas in the gatherings you plan. I'm also going to provide a link in the transcript to the accessibility information on our church's website, First Congregational Church of Oakland. It's far from perfect, but it is an example of one community's wrestling with how to be transparent and responsive. That's what I've got for you this week, folks. We'd love to hear what you think of this episode and of the work we're doing here generally. What are you making of it? How are your own movement struggles unfolding and what are you learning from those? You can comment on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages, or you can fill out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org. That's also where you can sign up for Surge Faith Updates and find transcripts for every episode, which include references, resources, and action links. We appreciate your feedback so much and are especially eager to hear from BIPOC folks, people with disabilities, and people who are not Christian. How are we doing? What's working and what's not? 
We'd love your input. Finally, we want to thank our sound editor for this week, Jordan Perry. Thank you so much, Jordan. That's it for now, friends. So many blessings to you for grounded accountability, deep transformation, and loving connection as we build up a new world. Until next time, I'm Nicola Torbett.